0: Hello and welcome to Timeless Truths, a sermon podcast from St. Mark Ministries in Greater Green Bay, Wisconsin. This week we continue our series Spiritual Boot Camp. In episode two, let's join Pastor John Parlow as we learn how to read the Bible. So open up your heart, open up your Bible, and let's dig in into these timeless truths. Welcome to St. Mark. It is great to have you join us in person as well as online. Uh, Last weekend, we we began a brand new three-part series that we entitled More Than a Book as we talk about the Bible and and take a look and see how we can even understand it and know it better. Now, if you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to meet me at the Connect Center right after this uh, service, and I'll give you one for free. You can take one for family and friends as well. Now last week we began talking about what people would call the basics of the Bible. It's organization and the fact that human beings didn't write it. God wrote it down through human beings, so it's not a human book, it's a divine book. That's the idea. Uh, Today what's going to happen is we're going to continue our series by talking about reading it and interpreting it. One of the things that sometimes is shocking, and maybe it is to you as well, is how many people out there who are really intelligent, successful, uh, they they have religious opinions, they're open to spiritual things, uh, they believe in God, they even might pray, but they've never seriously read the Bible, never really seriously studied it. The Bible is not just the most influential religious book ever written it actually is the most influential book, period, in human history. It's more influential than the philosophy of Aristotle, the plays of uh, Shakespeare, the scientific writings of a guy like Newton, the psychology of Freud, or the biography of the Kardashians. There's nothing that matches its, uh, its influence. So i got to ask you, have you read it? On one occasion, Jesus is talking to people in his day that are supposed to be some experts in in religion. And they're trying to trap Jesus, and Jesus knows that, and he's patient with them. And then he gets to the point in the conversation where he says this. Jesus replied, You are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. Have you not read what God said to you? Jesus was surprised that these people who claim to be open to religion and know their religion, really didn't know what they actually believed because they really hadn't read and studied the book like they should have. So I'm encouraging you, make sure you read the book, God's Word, the Bible. And as you do, make sure you have a good uh, contemporary English version of the Bible. Now, there's no perfect English version of the Bible. There is none. Here's why. The Old Testament was written in the language of its day, Hebrew. The New Testament was written in the language of its day, Greek. So every English translation of the Bible is a translation from the original languages. That's just the way that works. And so sometimes you'll have people look at you and flippantly say something like, well, I I don't believe the Bible because there's so many different translations. They simply don't understand. All ancient books that we now have in English were translated from their original languages. So as you get a good English translation of your Bible, make sure it's one that also speaks in English as we do today. Because you know, over time, some words change, don't they? For example, gay used to mean happy. If you were sick or something was sick, it means you needed to fix it or go to a doctor. But today, sick actually means good. Oh, that's a sick truck. Spam used to be meat in a can. Or something like meat, right? Um, Coke was a drink, not a drug. Uh, and your booty used to be your treasure, right? So make sure that you're, using, you're looking for a, a manuscripts that are a, an English translation that takes the Greek and the Hebrew and translates it in today's English, that's understandable for you and me. Now, there are no perfect translations, but there's some that are better than others. Uh, if you start way on the left-hand side, and by the way, I have this chart if you want it. It's available at the uh, Connect Center. Uh, you start to the way, the way left side, and you see uh, something that's often called a formal equivalence. These are, these are translations of the Bible that are really word for word. Sometimes they're called wooden. And you start with that, and if you have a Bible app, then you've got all of these translations. And it's helpful to look at a few different translations if you're not sure what a passage is actually saying. So that's why I encourage people to use their Bible app or have several different uh, translations of the Bible as you're studying your Bible. That's very helpful. Now, that brings up another question. Where do you start? Where are you gonna start? A lot of people start at the very beginning, Genesis, and that's fine, that's good. And, And they read Genesis, and they're okay. And then they move on to Exodus, and they're still okay. But then they get to Leviticus. There's a lot of blood in Leviticus. They're thinking, I'm, I'm not okay. And then they get to Numbers, and they're waving the white flag. Just start with Jesus. I always encourage people to start with one of the four eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life and ministry. We call them the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Always start with what Jesus, who Jesus is what he's done for you, his forgiveness, the fact that we're going to be headed to hell, that's what would happen by nature, but Jesus has saved us. Always start with Jesus. That's the very center of what we are as Jesus' followers, right? We start with Jesus. I often recommend, starting with the book Luke, the Gospel According to Luke, his eyewitness account, because Luke, humanly speaking, was the most learned of the four uh, gospel writers from a human standpoint, and also he's uh, a top-rate uh, We'd say historian today, because he's got such an eye for detail. Then you can move on to another New Testament book. A lot of people will cho- choose the book James, because James is written to the early Christian church and it's people telling them, now look what Jesus, my half brother, did. My Savior did for us. Um, here's how we can live a life that honors him and thanks him for that. And that's why James is very, very practical. And you can see that how to live as a uh, Jesus follower in every area of your life. Then after that, go to an Old Testament book. A lot of people recommended it to me early on. Read Genesis. It's a great book. Read Genesis. And after those three books, what happens is you have a pretty good foundation off of which you can work for the rest of your life. While we do, as Jesus' followers, believe that God wrote down the Bible through men, he also wrote it in such a way, very graciously, that it makes sense to ordinary people like me and like you. It's not very hard to read at all. In fact, Paul commented on this truth when he said this, for we do not write you anything you cannot read or understand. Now let's talk about interpreting what you read, because this is what you always hear, often hear, don't you? you? You say, well, the Bible says this, and the Bible says that about a certain subject, and then likely you'll have people look at you and say, well, that's just your interpretation. Ever heard that? That's just your interpretation. As if, when you read the Bible, it always comes down to your personal preference or your personal opinion. I mean, you can play fast and loose. It's the Wild West with the Bible. You know, you can make it say whatever you want it to say. There's no, nothing decisive. Is that true? No. It's one of those myths in our culture. One of those myths. Uh, There are certain steps that you're going to need to take. We call them a hermeneutics, fancy term, for interpreting the Bible and making sure you interpret it correctly. But we've talked about those five steps before. Let's just walk through them again. First thing you need to know is you need uh, to translate it correctly from the original languages. That's why people who do that need to know the languages so that you know the syntax, the sentence structure, how that language works, um, the vocabulary, what words actually mean as you translate them into English. That's why I think it's good to have several versions of your Bible, several different translations. I think that's helpful. Second thing you want to do is determine the literary genre. What are you reading? Are you reading poetry? Are you reading a letter sent to a group of Christians in the first century? Are you reading history of God moving through his people in the Old or New Testament? What exactly are you reading? You're not going to read poetry and make it th- think it's going to sound like a scientific journal. That's not the way it works. Third thing you need to understand is put the document in its historical and cultural context. Uh, Make sure you understand why something was said and and what it meant to the people who did it and what the principle is that we're applying in our day and age as well. Uh, That's why I think it's sometimes nice to have a Bible that has those notes in it, study notes in it, as well as have access to commentaries. Also, I'd encourage you as good Lutherans to have your catechism. That's very, very helpful as well. Number four, um, note the larger context. Don't take a passage out of its context. Ask questions like, who's speaking? Who are the recipients? What's the subject matter? Read the verse before the verse after. Usually then you'll understand exactly what's going on in that verse. That's important. Know the context. And finally, let Scripture interpret Scripture. The more difficult passages to understand in a certain subject in the Bible need to be understood in light of the more clear passages in the Bible on the same subject. Let's say in your reading, your study, you come across a passage or a group of passages and you're not sure what it means. Maybe it's about marriage or sex or gender or money or whatever it is. Well, you do a cross-reference, and that's where your catechism comes in handy again, and you can Google this as well. And you look at, well, where did God talk about this subject elsewhere in his book. For example, let's say you're reading something and it's about the end times, about Judgment Day, eschatology. And you go, I'm not really sure how to take this. Well, you simply cross-reference all of the other passages in the Bible where God talks about the end times and take those clearer passages or more clear passages and they help you interpret what this more difficult one says because God's not going to say one thing about a subject here and the complete opposite over here. It doesn't work that way. Make sure you have a, a, a good translation, clearly understood. But final, just a final note. Have no doubt, 99% of your Bible requires no heavy lifting to interpret correctly. All you got to do is read it. So last week I started with a quiz. Now we're going to have another one mid-study. Mid it's the audience participation time. Okay, here we go. First one, Exodus twenty fifteen, you shall not steal. So, is it okay to steal or not? Okay, good. That, pretty easy, huh? That's the vast majority of your Bible. That easy. How about First Thessalonians four? For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. Not hard to understand. It's a letter sent to a group of Christians called the Thessalonians at that time, first century. It's narrative, it's history, right? Not hard to understand at all. But what does Psalm 98 mean? Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Well, that's poetry. That's poetry. It's not a science text. Oftentimes we see, even outside the Bible, but in in the Bible in the poetry sections, like the Psalms, the writers will go ahead and, and give human attributes to nature. And here it's just pointing out, even nature would be thankful for the creator himself. That's all it says. That's how we, that's how we talk. The Bible is written in such a way from our perspective so we understand what God's trying to communicate. The Bible is not written like a uh, science textbook, although it's true about science, because really science comes from Christianity, the Bible itself. Um, but it's... Uh, It's not written like a science textbook. And and you don't want it to be, because you don't talk that way either. Later tonight, you'll watch the sunset, and you'll say, what a beautiful sunset. If you were correct, you'd say, what a marvelous earth rotation. You don't speak like that, and so the Bible doesn't either to you when it's talking to you about God's marvelous creation. Keep that in mind. You have to understand the genre. How about 1 Peter chapter 3? After being made alive... He went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. Now, by itself, you don't really understand that passage. I mean, who are the imprisoned spirits, and what does proclamation mean, and who's, who's doing what? So you read the context, the passages before and after. Take a look again. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. So you understand from context okay, this is Jesus. After the cross, he goes to hell and proclaims his victory because the word proclamation there, and you'd learn this in your notes in your Bible or maybe from a commentary. Proclamation here in Greek does not mean to proclaim the gospel. Here's the word that means to proclaim your victory over your enemy you just defeated. And so the first place Jesus goes is goes, devil thought he won and said, nope, you lost. You lost. That's why sometimes having a commentary or a Bible with some study notes in it can be very helpful. But here's a passage that's been misinterpreted a lot. Movies have been made after it. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. This is the famous passage people take out of context and make up the doctrine that's called the rapture, the rapture. And uh, that's this idea that uh, seven years before Jesus shows up on Judgment Day, all the Christians quickly and silently are going to be removed from the earth. And so you've got seven years to clean your act up before he comes again. That wasn't even around until the 1820s in Scotland when a young woman had a vision and some pastor heard about it named Darboy. And he, Darby, and he's decided to make up what's called the rapture and dispensationalism and uh, left-behind series are based on that. It's not in the Bible at all, at all. And you note that this passage is really talking about what happens on Judgment Day. You note that again by letting Scripture interpret Scripture and know the context. Take a look. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, so it's not quiet, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up, in Latin it's a word that from which we get our word um, rapture, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will be with the Lord forever. Well, you know from other passages, this is talking about the end times. For example, uh, Peter told us in 2 Peter chapter 3, I believe it was, that the reason we meet the Lord in the air when he comes is because he's going to renovate the earth with fire and you can't be standing on it. We're told in uh, Matthew chapter 24 and 25, Jesus is only coming back once. Not once to take the believers and then seven years later for judgment or to set up some kind of kingdom, millennial kingdom. Uh, You notice from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that all of this described here, and Paul uses the same words, happens in the twinkling of an eye. That's a blink. He's talking about Judgment Day here. That's when this happens. That's why it's important to know the context and let Scripture interpret Scripture. But here's one more, just for fun. Just for fun. If you have your Bible, open to Numbers chapter 22. Numbers chapter 22. Let's say you're preaching next weekend. Here's your text. Boy, I'd love to hear that, though. I gotta tell you. Here we go. Balaam's donkey. Balaam's donkey. Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the Moabite officials. But God was very angry when he went, and the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, it turned off the road into a field. Balaam beat it to get it back on the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path. Through the vineyards, with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. so he beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved on, moved ahead, and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn, either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it laid down under Balaam, and he was angry and beat it with his staff. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth, and it said to Balaam, What have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Balaam answered the donkey. That's the part that surprises me. Talk to his donkey. Talk to him. That would have been a shocker, right? Pull out your phone at that point. Uh, You have made a fool of me. If only I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. The donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he said. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn, and he bowed low and fell face down. So who's smarter, Balaam or the donkey? Not hard at all. Bible's easy. Now there are some portions of the Bible that at first appear to be a little difficult, but most of the time, that's simply because we don't understand the culture or the customs or traditions of their day. We need to do a little more study. And there are certain passages in the Bible that some people argue about how you interpret them. But the vast majority of those cases are not translation issues. It's really, some people just don't want the book to say what it actually says. But that's, a, that's another message. So that's a little about reading your Bible and interpreting it. Next week, we're going to talk about how do you apply it to your life? And do you apply all of it now to your life? Because uh, if you've ever read the Old Testament, there's some strange commands in the Old Testament. But that's for next week. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Timeless Truths. Whether you're a first-time listener or a long-time listener, we're glad you could join us. For more information or to support the work of St. Mark Ministries, check out our website at stmarkministries.com. Be sure to tune in next week as we continue our series, Spiritual Boot Camp. And remember, you matter and you are loved.